You're listening to North Bay Christ the King's weekly sermon podcast. In this week's message, Pastor Dan McAvoy explores split-second decisions and making the right choice. We're in a series called Divine Decisions, and we've been talking about in this series, and if, you're, if, if you don't know, it's in, there's some notes in your, your program that you can follow along of decisions that we're making in our life that are very critical. We, we face decisions at times that really will define our very future. Big decisions. Last week we talked about how some of the little decisions can lead up to the, to the bigger choices we make. But there is these big choices. There is these big decisions like our education. Some of you had to really contemplate. What are you going to do? What are you going to study? Where are you going to go? This is kind of the time of year people are now preparing for college uh, for the next season. The, the person uh, to marry. What a big decision that can be. Accepting a new job position. A big move to a new city, starting a new family. These are kind of these threshold decisions that many of us make and, and go through. And we have this luxury, and the luxury is that many times we could we can think about it, reflect upon it, get advice from others, pray about it, and then make the choice. But many times in our life, a lot of decisions that we face are split-second decisions. You just gotta be ready to make the tough call. There's no warning. To be prepared for that. When Before I was a lead pastor, I was a youth pastor, close to about 15 years. I love working with students. And, and one of the opportunities, though, I did get is to coach middle school boys basketball. Okay? Crazy. Okay? Just, I don't know why I did this to myself, but it was, no, I loved it, actually. And the boys I work with, you know, the, the, you, you plan plays, you prepare the team, but there's these critical moments in the game. It's the stressful times when you're down by one and you got six seconds on the clock and you got to get the ball from this end to the other end to try to score a basket to win the game. So you call the timeout, you huddle them together and all these little eyes are looking at you and like, okay, coach, what are we going to do? So I grab the whiteboard. Of course, sometimes you think you got a plan and play, but I remember moments going, it's blank. I have no idea what I'm going to do. But I got to call a play. I've got to do something. So you are going to set a screen on this guy, and this guy's going to come through, and you're going to pass. That ball's going to go here, and then it's going to come, and you're going to dribble it here, and you're going to pass it here, and then you're taking the shot. Ready? On three. Okay? Boom. And sometimes we were successful. Sometimes we weren't. Now, sometimes you could blame the kid that missed the shot. It was all set up. Sometimes you can blame the coach for calling a dumb play, okay? But what it is in our life sometimes, you and I might not be a whiteboard that we got to call play on, but you are calling plays all the time in your life. And the, when, the, when the, not just the game's on the line, life is on the line. And the decisions, split-second decisions, you must respond to. Some of us have experienced before having an unexpected phone call that just grips us and we've got to respond to it. A kid drops a bomb of confession of what he's been involved with. A moment in a meeting where you're called upon and everybody looks to you. Bob, what do you think in the situation? And Bob's going, oh, you know, and your, your opinion, your job in some ways feels like it's on the line. A family, a, a family member that's in crisis or a friend that's in crisis and you got to be ready. You got to respond. It's in these moments. It's in these moments. You don't have time to reflect. You don't have time to research. You don't ha- have time to, to, to even uh, prepare. You don't even have time to Google. Right? When you need to know, you have to react to it. Decisive moments, these split-second 
decisions. You kind of call them knee-jerk reactions. You ever gone to the doctor and they've got the, you know, the, the mallet, the red little thing, and then they hit it, and then they, do you ever wanted to kick the doctor? Come on, you, some of you wanted to, it's like, sorry, doc, or, or you punch them, like, ah, oh, it's just the reaction. I didn't mean to do that. You have your shot, okay? Here's the question, though. How, how is your reflex in life decisions? How is it? Your, your split-second moments and how you react. See, I think this is so critical. This is so critical. And I've experienced it in my life, and I really think this is true. Your reaction really is a reflection of your heart. Think about that. Your reaction to whatever's going on is truly a deep-down reflection of your heart. This truth is straight out from Jesus, who says this, For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Have you had that before? Like, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Well, you didn't mean to say that out loud. You already said it with your heart. It came off your lips. Unless you're a really good poker player, at some point, your heart will be revealed. Your true colors will come out. Think about it, though. If that being the case, think about this. If you're having to make split de- split-second decisions in critical moments of your life, should you not be prepared for those moments? Should you not be in a place that you don't have time to think about it, to research and get advice from? You've got to just do what comes out of you in that moment because how many know it's automatic that comes out? You're never you never have the conscious moment of time or you sometimes you don't have the conscious moment to really really truly decide. It comes out of you. Now, one of the great examples of a, you could, as we're talking about, a split second decision, literally, is a guy named Solomon, King Solomon. And you might be familiar with him and the story we're about to get into. But Solomon became king as a young boy, and the, but the Lord showed favor on him because he also had a heart like his father, David. First Kings 3, this, where this story comes from, it says that Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. What we found in this context of this story is that Solomon really wanted to be a worshiper of Yahweh, the one true God, in the midst of a culture of idols that he, that he was a part of. And, and because of his faithfulness to Yahweh, to God Almighty, with a strong conviction, Scripture says this, as At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now think about this. You ever had a once-in-a-lifetime offer? <laughs> Nothing beats that. Can you imagine God himself coming and waking up in the middle of the night, shaking, going, okay, wh- whatever you want, ask, but you got to tell me now. What do you want? What do you want? Well, what would you do? How would you react? Well, whatever you react to is, is going to come from here. What really you desire in life? Is it health? Is it wealth? Is it love? Is it like, can I just have a big do-over, God, and go back in time? What is it? Solomon's response of all the things, the, all the, all, Solomon, you can have anything in the world. What do you want? What do you want? It? Wisdom. He asked God, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Wise response for asking wisdom. 
Because listen to what happens next. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, since you've asked for this, and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do you as you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor. So in your lifetime, you have no equals among kings. But catch this next part. It said this, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. There's this promise that God gives to Solomon if he continues to walk in obedience to him. This is an amazing offer of wisdom. Not just the wisdom, but what does Solomon get? Because he's not greedy. Because he's not selfish gain or has no other ill motives. God gives him more than he even asked for. How many of you say in your life that God has given you more than you asked for? So a lot of times we, we feel like at times God's not giving us what we, what we want. Or maybe sometimes we need. But we fail to forget the fact that God knows because he's perfect what we really truly need anyway. And when he ends up giving us what we really need, we look back in our life and go, Wow, God, you did more than I ever dreamed or imagined. And Solomon was experiencing this and God gave him what he asked for because he had a right heart, this gift of discernment. And I tell you, we're going to look at this in a moment, that he needed it. This critical moment that he was going to have to make a split second decision. We're going to, we're going to look at here because what happened just after this encounter with the Lord, he has an encounter with two women who requested the presence of of the king to settle a custody battle. They were fighting over a newborn baby. Now, when you look at this story, if you didn't know this was in the Bible, you would think this is like an episode out of Jerry Springer. Okay. It really is kind of amazing because what was going on in this story was actually two prostitutes who lived in the same house together. Could have been a brothel. Most likely that was the case in the situation. So here they are, they're living in the same household and they both have babies. And the interesting thing is the one baby uh, was, died because you know, a nursing mother would ever have her in her bed and she rolled over on her own child and, and suffocated the baby. That mother, you know what she did? She took her dead baby and apparently switched it with the other baby. So they're waking up. So here, they're, the mother's waking up with the dead baby's going, this isn't my baby. That's your baby. You did this. Oh, I can't believe you accused me of doing such a thing. So there's this crazy custody battle that's going on that one is trying to attach themselves to this other baby. No, that's my baby. And this battle goes on, this envy that's, that's happening. And there's no witnesses of whatever took place. It's one word against the other. And so here, King Solomon here, he's probably just in his early 20s, is faced with this huge decision. Whose baby is it? What is he supposed to do? Now, if you don't know the story, I'm going to keep you in suspense of decision that he made. But what would you do? You're like, 
You know, I'm not really a person. I'm not a king. I'm not an authority. You will, in some ways in your life, have to make a judgment call. And the, and the, and the call is not only for you to make, but it's going to affect everybody around you. And you're going to have to make the critical call and you're going to have to decide. And I tell you, sometimes you do not have time to think about it. You're just going to have to react. What would you do? What are you, how do you prepare for the decisions you don't know yet you are even going to make in the future? Well, you prepare for those decisions, but I don't know what the decision is going to be. You prepare for them. And the greatest way you prepare is to go to the wisdom instructional manual, God's word, to seek wisdom. Now, wisdom, I don't know if you thought of this much, but wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is, is obtaining, uh, retaining the right information. Wisdom is applying that right information, the right to, to make the right decision at the right moment. You, you've all met like really, really smart people, but they're kind of dumb in life. Have you met people like, don't point fingers, okay? But they're really, really, get, they get like straight A's, but they're like, you're not, you're kind of concerned of them walking, crossing the street, not getting hit by the car, because they're all caught up in what they're thinking and doing and, you know, figuring things out. But, but you know, Einstein, I don't know if you knew the story, but Einstein actually was, uh, you, know, the, you know, probably the most brilliant person in, in history, but he'd always miss his trains because he, you know, he's got, he's absent-minded professor. Maybe you've heard that before. Listen, Knowledge is wonderful, but if you don't apply wisdom to it, it's worthless. What we need most, more than wealth, more than power, more than being smart, is having wisdom to know and decide at the right time and the right moment. Now, to help you with your preparation of your future decisions that you're not sure are going to happen, let me just give you some thoughts that go with that and a little filtering test to, to add to it that I want to share. First is this, making the right decision comes from choosing to have a right heart. Making the right decision comes from choosing to have the right or a right heart. Solomon was wise. Why? Because God blessed him with wisdom, but it was because of his faithfulness to God. That he wasn't after greed. He wasn't for, uh, after wealth. He wasn't seeking for himself. He needed wisdom. Why? Because he wanted to serve God to help others. And and what happens was it came down to when he came to this place is making a decision to have the right heart. Solomon had the right heart as we're going to look at how the decision he had to make. See, our reaction of life challenges and the decision we make is a reflection of our heart. If, if our reaction is anger, you have anger issues in your heart. If, if you have a reaction and, and your, your gut reaction, your, 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 your knee-jerk reaction is jealousy, it's an issue of the heart. If you get offended really quickly... And people have to kind of dance around you because we don't want to take you off. You've got issues, okay? You have something going on in your heart. Bitterness or insecurity or whatever it might be. It's an issue. It will come out. And we can make excuses. We can say, you know, he makes me so mad. She ticks me off, right? And you said to your kids, and then we say it to ourselves. Nobody makes you do anything. We are all gatekeepers of what we let in our lives. Jesus said this, said this truth. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. I have to admit, I've made really bad decisions when I'm mad. Especially what I've said when I'm mad. 
I overreact. I speaking exaggerations like, oh, really? Right. You, you know, you never, you always, and maybe that'd be for you as well. We do not, we our, our judgment is clouded when our emotions get the best of us. It all happens to the, to all of us when our heart is in the wrong place. Let me ask, is your heart in a right place to make a right decision right now? What you're facing, what you're doing, choosing a right heart always comes from getting though. Listen, getting our heart right with God. If you're choosing to make a right decision, it comes back to the heart and it comes back. Is your heart in the right place with God? David, Solomon's dad, gives us a great confession of the process of coming clean with the Lord. He wrote this Psalms. He said, creating me a pure heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. That we're in a place and, and we're trying to work through life and we're through, working through the decisions we have to make. I tell you, you will not make not only just good decisions, but you will not make godly decisions if your heart is not clean before God. It's going to be difficult because it's clouded. It's full of sin. And we have to come to a place in God, creating me a clean heart. Take the sin out of my life. God, I confess that to you. My anger, my jealousy, my unforgiveness, my what I did wrong, what, how I did this, and, and, and what I said to others, and what I thought, Lord. Confession is good for your soul, but it, it also prepares you for the future decisions you're going to have. I'm telling you, you're going to make better decisions when, you're, when your heart is in the right place. So our hearts are a re, reflection. Our decisions are a reaction of our heart. And then finally, next point is this. Making right decision comes from the values we hold to. The values that we hold to already in our life. Solomon didn't make decisions out of the vacuum of the society. He was living in a very ungodly society. He had to really seek God in his word. And he made sacrifices to God. And he was faithful to the Lord. And God blessed him with wisdom. But it was all instilled in the values that he had. And the decision that he was about to make, he has to choose. I tell you, true values will surface when decisions come to the... Our true values will surface when we have to make those decisions. And I tell you, sometimes you've got to make decisions in advance of, of once you have to, you're faced with the choice that you have to face. Now, I want to share just an example of this. And I, and I, I say this, not my wife and I, not a bragging way, but, but not, not in, in a humble way, hopefully, but also as a lesson for those students are here, young adults, those are entering future romantic relationships. This is, this is, I hope this is helpful for you. If some of you are older and you've already crossed the line and the decisions you made and they're irreversible, I don't want to bring shame upon you today. I just want to use this as an example of values that will hold to the decisions we make. Both my wife and I, prior to knowing one another, made a very important decision. And we made a predetermined decision that we will not engage in premarital sex. And we made a pledge of purity to do that. Thank God for wonderful youth pastors and a great youth ministry that they had moments in their, in their times where you know, students made this pledge. In fact, back in the day, we had bracelets, if you can believe it. And sometimes we use rings, purity rings and that to remind ourselves. And, and as an example to others, this is what is so important to us. And the value, not only it's right and wrong, it's wrong, premarital sex, but the value and the wisdom it can, can bring for us. We made that pledge. And I tell you, once you, then when we met each other, I tell you, we're all tempted. We're all faced in the, the heat of the moment and, you know, and 
and when the lights are dim and, you know, one thing could lead, you know, to another, we made a commitment and then we had a curfew midnight. And I'll tell you, we got up to eight, you know, 1158, 1159, we're, you know, 20, 21 years old. And so we're on our own. We, but we made a choice. We made that decision. And I tell you, it's paid off for us of having close down to 23 years of, of marital fidelity. And again, I don't brag about that, but I want to tell you it's possible. It's, it's, there's a, when we value, this is, is so important in our life. What and other biblical values we have when the time comes and when the moment comes that we'll be ready. And why it's based on God's word. David, Solomon's dad declared this. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's preparation for when that decision is to be made as much as it's hard. You and I are going to face these moments. And I tell you that what they are is really spiritual battle. The spiritual battle that goes in our hearts. And Paul says this. He says, therefore, because of this battle, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. You'll be able to stand your ground. And it might be the moment in preparation for that day of evil. But also, it's the day of decision, when you have to determine that decision. I want to say this about the, the purity piece. I had a, we had a couple in Idaho that was so amazing. They, they didn't know the Lord, and they, they you know, engaged in premarital activity before. And then they came to Christ. And you know what they did? They, they, they continued in their relationship, but they, 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 it, was, became a not, it became not a physical relationship until the day they married again. And I tell you, God can restore. When you put the line, you draw that line of saying, this is where I am. But you determine that line before you get to the moment, to the day of decision, to the, the, to the day that you've got to decide you are prepared. And in your life, whatever critical decision you're making is to prepare for that. In your program, I'm going to go very quickly through this as preparation for you. When you're faced with decisions, decisions that you might be facing right now, or you might have to face next week and the weeks to come. This is a little tool that I, that I help kind of curb and develop and, and, and for us here today. And it's seven ways to test a decision. So maybe right now you're not faced with anything. Maybe you are, and this will be helpful. But one day this could be very, very important for you. To, to look at and to filter decisions. The first qu- question to ask or the, the test is, is, it's called the ideal test. Asking your question when you're faced with a decision, is it in harmony with God's word? Is there some obvious commands of things that you should avoid that, that are clear in scripture? Like, I don't think you have to pray about whether you should steal a car or not. You don't have to worry about that. That's obvious. Stealing is wrong. Okay. However, there's gray areas in our life that we're, we have to lean on. It's not just a right and wrong thing. It's a leaning on wisdom. Is this not just wrong or right? Is it wise? Is it wise? And how does it line up with God's wisdom? He gives us. Second is this. It's the integrity test. Would I want everyone to know about this? Okay. We live in a YouTube world. I tell you, everything gets filmed, okay? You're out hanging out, doing this, doing that. Guess what? Do you want 100,000 people to view that? Would you want your grandma? That's even more important. Grandma's on Facebook now. Have you found that? She's on you. She knows YouTube. She's found it. Instagram, it's happening quick here, okay? What did you want everybody to know? Second, third one is this, the improvement test. We'll make 
be a better person. Now, a better person doesn't mean my life's going to be better. Does it draw me closer to Christ? Does it make me more of a positive person? Does it really help my life and, and make me more like Jesus? When Chris and I were, you know, to young, young adult, young, young married, we, we spent time with couples. And sometimes we, we spent time with this one particular couple and it just got negative. Like, it just seems like we leave and like, gosh, you just feel down on life and kind of negative. It's all. And we realized that we weren't going to defriend them, but we, we spent less time with them. We balanced it out. We get influenced by other people. Will it improve your life? This, the fourth is this, the independence test. Could it, could it be addicting to me? Could it be addicting to you? Do, do, do you control it or does it control you? And it's not just, it's not just a hit or a drink. That it's, it's other habits that can form. It can be really good things. I was counseling a, a couple a while back and, and one spouse was complaining to the other because they exercise too much. And some of you are like, man, I just get, I get my, I mean, I'll get them to move, get moving, right? But it was because they were spending so much time in that activity that was taken away from the relationship. Sometimes good things actually can not be good because it can lead to dependence. The fifth is this, is the influence test. Will it harm other people? So one of the other gray areas that sometimes is maybe you're in a social environment where alcohol is present. If you're the host of the party... You have to, I think it's really a, a wise and I think it's important responsibility is, okay, I might not have a problem with alcohol. You don't have a problem, but the guy coming in or the woman coming in who's battling addiction, who is an alcoholic, is that fair to them to put that in front of them? Well, it's not wrong, is it? No, is it, maybe it's wrong in the moment. The influence test, so critical. And six is this, the investment test. Is it the best use of your time? We all get 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is it the best use? One of the things I, I do enjoy doing at times is golfing. Nothing wrong with golfing. I love golfing. I'm not very good at it. In fact, if you're not very good at it, I'll, you, could, you could feel better about yourself. You come golf with me. You're like, man, I just, I could get better at golf if I spent more time with golf, I think. Uh, but it's, it depends on how long you want to play it. I mean, you could play a game. It might be a couple hours for me. It might be four hours, okay, to golf. Uh, but I choose not to put my, not just my money, but my time into that because it's a commitment. It's nothing wrong with that, but how are the activities you're doing, is it, is it taking away from, in your decisions, is it taking away from what matters most? And then finally, this, the seventh one I think is so critical is the, the community test. What, with, what those who love me think, what would those who love me think? See, one of the greatest gifts God's given us is, is one another. Wisdom, especially godly wisdom. Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man, wrote this. He said, without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better the chances. I tell you, isolating ourselves in our life just is so it brings such detriment to our lives. That's why we, we have a community of small groups that when we get together, we spend time together. We, we bounce out each other's ideas. And sometimes you'll throw out an idea and people are like, where did you get that from? Ooh, well, maybe that's not the best way. And we can, we can help each other in the wisdom we find. I'm part of what's called a quad. It's just myself and four other guys that we get together. And we really just really digging in and getting no one other and spending time together and growing in God's word. I tell you, those guys, some of those guys are a little bit older than me. And I learned so much 
from that. It's not so much, hey, Dan, you should do this, but I'm just learning as their example in life. The community test. What would what, what others that love us and care about us think is best? So take that test. Take it with you. Post it somewhere. As a reminder, if you want it in a different form, I can email it to you. But listen, it comes down to you are going to have to make a choice. Will you be ready? Will you be prepared? Now, in that preparation, is as is important as this. Finally, is making the right decision comes from responding in faith, not reacting in fear. Making the right decision comes from responding in faith, not reacting in fear. And Solomon faced these two ladies in the eyes, these two mothers. One, we don't know who, had a dead baby. And the other one, we don't know. We don't know the situation. So some of you are like, what, what happened with, with these ladies? Well, listen what happened. We'll talk about it here. Solomon's face. They're arguing back and forth. No, it's my baby. No, it's, your, it's, my, it, no, it's not my, it, your baby. It's my baby. They go back and forth. And he, he's probably just like, ladies, get out of my sight. I'm tired of you. No, he rose above the chaos and the noise and all the crowd that's gathered, you know, and he has to call the play. He has to make a decision. And he had really came all the preparation of his life, everything that he'd been praying for, everything that gone in and seeking the Lord and the wisdom God given him came to, down to this critical moment. And you could say literally, it was going to be potentially a split decision. Scripture says this. Then that the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two, give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. Brilliant. Why? He's, God gave him wisdom. He's the wisest man, the Bible says, in the world. Brilliant. But how many know it was bold? We know the other side of the story. Did Solomon really know when that sword is drawn, the reaction of those mothers? No. It was a faith step. And yeah, I tell you, the reaction in, this, in your face was, is, comes from the response of your heart. And that drew out the, the true mother, her true response for her precious baby that she's saying, listen, give her to this mother. I, I, at least I know he's going to be alive, that he won't be destroyed. Truth comes out. It's revealed from the heart. And Solomon came and made this decision, but it was a step of faith. He did not know the reaction, but he did not let, and for us as well, not let fear get in the way of what we need to choose. I'd like our team to come as we wrap up here in prayer. And as they do, I've got this question for you. Are your decisions motivated by fear or are they prompted by faith? And I would add this lately, currently. Are your decisions... Are they motivated? Are, you, are they fear-based as you go through life? Oh, are they prompted by faith? I think fear can come in our lives in many ways. I think fear can come in where we are really, really worked up and concerned what other people are going to think. 
We're really, really concerned about if I do this, what will be the, the results of this? Now there's nothing wrong with thinking about those things. But if those become predominant in our life and fear and anxiety come over us and we battle this in our life, is that God? No. The well, Lord does not want us to worry. The Lord does not want us to be in knots. The Lord does not want to produce ulcers in our life. But we have to make a decision at times. Are we choosing? Are we worried about the fear of others, the fear of the future? Or are we worried and focused on pleasing God in faith? And that's the beautiful thing about faith. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible, impossible to please God. But here's the promise when we do that is this. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And then what it says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So think about this with your faith. When you've done all you know to prepare, you've done all you know, and your heart is in the right place, you believe it is, you've studied scripture and you prepared, remember the pre-decisions when you have to make the decisions, you've, you've got counsel, you've sought your community around you helping, you've got to make this choice, or let's put it this way as we're talking about today, you're all prepared that day, but when the day of decision comes in that moment, and you got to call the play in life, are you going to be ready? Can you just take that step of faith and decide, will you be ready? Well, it comes back to here. And it comes back, our faith is motivated in us, not our fear. Our heart comes back to this moment. And here's the beautiful thing. When we step in faith, it's all we know to do. And we choose in faith. Guess what? We please God. Well, what will happen? Well, that's not, you're not in charge of what happens. That's the outcome. And, and if you stepped in faith as much as you know, and you prepared for that, guess what? You please God. And that's what matters the most.